Uh, God is here, amen? The Holy Spirit's here. Let's just, can you just give some honor to our band for serving us so well? Thank you, guys. And all of our red shirts as well. Thank you. All right, we're going to jump right in. I, I got I to gotta dive in because we're going to uh, look at one big pass- passage of text today. Uh, if you have a Bible, I want you to go ahead and open it to 1 Corinthians 14. If you don't have a Bible of your own, we got some folks right here in red shirts. We want to put one in your hand because we want you to follow along. And we're really not going to be flipping all over the place today. We're just going to hang out on this one passage. And this is a fun passage to jump into because... I think there's probably never been a more hotly disputed, uh, misapplied, misinterpreted chapter in the whole Bible than perhaps this one. And I've never preached from it before last night, and so uh, I'm excited. It was fun. It got, it got, it got, it got, was fun. So I'm looking forward to jumping in. Turn there. Uh, For those of you who are joining us, we're in a teaching series right now. And what that is, it takes a little bit of a different tone because we're, we're looking at principles and things that God has given us. And this is kind of a, a Christianity next steps thing. And so we have been just looking at different keys God has given us to experience all that he has for us. And so this is a teaching series. We're diving deep into the Bible to learn something. You ready to learn something today? All right, good. Not bad for a 930 crowd. We've still got that lethargic lot out there. But some of you, some of you are letting me know you're there. I appreciate it. All right. Uh, let me start with this thought. In uh, Christmas of 2016, my brother-in-law, AJ, and I stuffed our faces after Christmas dinner. And about an hour after you, like, lay on the couch just collecting yourself, you know, like you're just kind of laying there. We got up and we went, into, we went into the bathroom and stepped on the scale and did not like what we saw. And so decided at Christmas of 2016 that I'm going to start taking a little more care of my body. I'm going to get a little bit more in shape and a little more healthy. And so uh, I started the process. I lost 50 pounds from that time. And uh, thank you. The, the secret is Richard Simmons sweating to the oldies. That's, <laughs> it's, real, it's really not. It's really not. Um, Actually, the secret is this. Uh, it takes exercise. I have learned that, but I, but I didn't see the results I really wanted to. I started going to the gym and, you know, five or six times, sometimes even seven times a week, just making it part of my lifestyle. But I really was not seeing the transformation and the health that I was hoping to see just by exercising. And it wasn't until I realized that I had to kind of bring my diet to a certain place that I started to see results. And I've learned this like inarguable fact about fitness and health. Not that I've arrived at where I want to be, but I have learned a few things. And one thing is this, no matter how much you exercise, you can't out-exercise your diet. You just can't. Some of you, I just, I just broke your world right there. (laughs) You really can't. Like you could run a marathon and four Cheetos takes you back to net zero. Like, it's, it's, it's crazy. Uh, and you know, you, know, you know the other thing that's nuts about this? I was thinking this. Like, why is it harder for me? Like, it's, it's easier for me to go spend an hour at the gym and literally work my entire body to a sweat. I find that easier than not putting a Cheeto in my mouth. How, what is that? Diet is actually, like, more important Then your exercise, I've learned this, that working out is very important, but what you work in is even more important. That the nutrition you bring into your body actually supersedes your exercise. It requires both. 
Some of you, if you had a great diet, you still would be weak if you never exercised. But I do know this, you can exercise a lot. If you have a bad diet, you will not be healthy. Now, this is my premise, so I wanted to make sure. So I, I, I messaged a couple doctor friends, just said, hey, am I in left field here? If you were to give a, a percentage value on, uh, you know, I know it's no more complicated than that. I know there's rest and sleep and mental health and all those things that come into overall health. But if you were to just divide it into two categories, exercise and diet, if you had to pick like a percentage value, what would you put on exercise and what would you put on diet? And they both said... About 30%, I would say, is exercise, and about 70% is diet. <laughs> it's true, though, that you can't out-exercise your diet. No matter how hard you work out, what you work in will always dictate your level of health. And that's the premise I want to kind of go off of today as we talk about this key uh, that I want to introduce to you in just a second. But we have been talking about different keys over the last, can you believe it, six weeks we've been doing this. Just looking at, okay, God, the word tells us that we're supposed to be healthy. We talked about that a few weeks ago. We said uh, the word holy. You can translate that as wholeness or health, healthy, like that God wants you to flourish. He wants your life to flourish in every single way. He wants you to be like a city on a hill, a star that shines in the night. That's what he said your life should look like. He said, if you follow me, you'll bear much fruit. That, that nourishment will come to your soul and it will produce fruitfulness. And so over the last six weeks, we've been looking for different keys to help us get into alignment and access what God already has for us. And so week in and week out, we've been looking at these keys, and, I, and I'm, I'm thankful for what we've discovered so far. And I hope this has helped some of you. It's been helping me even as I've had to study this. But if we stopped here, I suggest to you that you would be missing on the nutrition that actually you need to really be healthy. I, I'm, I'm confident that if you did the things we've talked about the last five weeks... Like if you became a person who just, you, you fix your eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, because what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. If you focused on heaven, you'd be way more grounded on earth. If you were a person who walked in humility and honor and holiness, you would find yourself getting stronger and stronger as you worked out your faith. I, I'm convinced that if you were a person who released forgiveness so that you could receive grace, you'd, you'd see results. I'm convinced that if you were a person who, you know, you, you shared your, your issues with one another, you'd bring healing into your life. I know that would happen. I know, like, what did we talk about last week? If you activated yourself in the body of Christ and you found your purpose, you'd find a fulfillment that you don't currently have. Those things are great. But if we stopped here, I suggest to you that you've got the 30%. You've got the workout down. But if you don't learn how to work in what God has for you with this next key, I think we're going to be missing on the nourishment, and you're going to have this kind of malnourished Christian existence. And I think, and I know actually, because this has been my journey, that I've only discovered this key in the last five years of my life. And I would typify the years prior to that as well-intended, a person who was disciplined, a person who went to church, a person who was in pastoral ministry, a person who believed, who read the Bible, who prayed, a person who went to church and served, who worked at the church. I, I, I would say I had all the work out things right, but this kind of component was missing and had a malnourishment. I know that it's possible, actually, to, to do all the externals right, but if you don't have this thing going on, you're going to be missing out. And, and, and it actually scales out beyond just you as an individual. This affects entire churches. I believe that a lot of churches are malnourished and weak, not because they're poorly led, not because they're not well-intended, not because they don't do the things they're supposed to do. 
I think they're missing this key. And you're like, tell us what the key is already. Yes. <laughs> Preaching 101, create mystery. <laughs> I want to talk to you today about the key of the voice of God. The key of the rhema word of God in your life. The now living word deposited in your soul. This is a key that brings about ultimate health and flourishing. It's been over the last five years, like I said, that God has been convincing me and convicting me and compelling me to start to step out and see and experience God in real time. Not just talk about him, not just read about him, not just hear about him, not just do things for him, but actually interact and engage my life with him in real time. And I have found my flourishing has gone into overdrive when I started to hear the voice of God in the depths of my soul. And there's actually tools that God has given us to be able to hear the living word, the rhema word. I'm going to tell you what that means in a minute. But I want to talk about the key of the voice of God, the rhema word of God. God has given you daily bread, a nourishment for your soul that actually works in you as you work out. This is what Paul was meaning even when he said, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. That there are things that only God can do for you. And you can try and try and strive and strive. But it's going to take the power of God deposited in your soul through the living word. I want to talk to you about the rhema word. If you have your Bible, open to 1 Corinthians 14. And just to catch you up, we, last week we were in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And this is kind of a whole section where Paul has been talking to real people in real time about how they're asking the same exact question. First Corinthians is a great book to read if you're wanting to like figure out, okay, what does living out the gospel look like in real time? Like, what does it look like for me to take my faith seriously? That's what Paul was, was, was doing. It, it was like a master class for Christianity. It was a Christianity 101. And the Corinthian church were messed, like messed. So if you want to like look at something with a really low bar, read 1 Corinthians and you're going to feel really good because there's a lot there that helps you take your next steps. And last week we looked at how Paul said you have to recognize the fact that God has given you gifts. And these gifts aren't just for you to, you know, to function, but these gifts are actually the very thing that the, the power of the Holy Spirit wants to work himself out in your life and through your life in real time. And so last week we said we're, we're trying to step deeper into engaging and experiencing a living God, not just an ideology and a philosophy. And so Paul takes it a little farther and he, he kind of brings them in. He, he does 1 Corinthians 13, which comes after 12. There you go. Fun fact. And 1 Corinthians 13, a lot of you have heard it. It's the love chapter. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is, you've heard that at most, a lot of weddings. That's like the one you read at weddings. Uh, Paul didn't write it for weddings. He actually wrote it as like the, the meat of the sandwich of this spiritual gifts conversation. And it actually is the thing that keeps it all aligned with God. So it doesn't grow out of control because a lot of things had grown out of control for the Corinthian church. Let's, let's read it and we'll see what it says. So Paul says this. So he just gets done talking about love. And then he says in verse 1, let love be your highest goal. So all of this is directed unto and funded by love. And then he says this, but you should also desire the special abilities or the gifts. Some translations say gifts. 
The special abilities that the Spirit gives. Now let me just pause here for a second and remind ourselves, who is Paul writing to? He's writing to the church. He's not writing to some superstar Christians. He's not writing to the pastor. He's not writing to the apostles. He's writing to regular believers like me and you. That's who he's writing to. It's very important we remember that, that, that he's actually speaking to you. This is for you. He says, desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you'll be talking only to God. Since people won't be able to understand you, you'll be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it'll be all mysterious. But the one who, who prophesies strengthens others encourages them and comforts them. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally, but one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. Now let's stop there. I can feel the tension in the room. You know what's fun about our church is we've got people who have no church background that are like, okay, this is getting weird. We've got people from like the Catholic church. We've got people from the Pentecostal church who are like, yes, tongues, let's go. We got, we, got, we, got, we got former Baptists that are already starting to sweat. They're like, oh, my goodness. They're like, you're all tense and stuff. This is exactly what Paul is actually writing this for, is because there was this kind of variety of reaction to this whole concept of spiritual gifts, and it was growing out of control. And 1 Corinthians 14 is a giant correction. It's a correction to the Corinthian church, and it'll help us align. A correction to two dangerous extremes. The first extreme that Paul's talking about, and he goes on about, and we're going to look at, is, is misappropriating how the gifts are supposed to work. He's actually trying to rein them in. He's saying, you guys need to relax and chill out. You guys are being morons. My paraphrase. Um, there, I, let, let me say it like this. There, there are two extremes. What, uh, what, one, one extreme is what we'll call cessationism. And cessationism is a form of thought within the Christian church that says this. That the Holy Spirit's job is, is, is he no longer gives gifts after the death of the last apostle. Cessation means to cease. And so a cessationist would believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit was something that was only given to the 12 apostles and Paul so that they could get the church going and eventually get the Bible. And then once we got the Bible, it became God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. Essentially is how they, how they walk it out. That's the cessationist view, and I'll talk about that in a second. And then Paul is correcting what I want to call not the charismatic view. We're going to talk about the charismatic view because we are a charismatic church Charismatic does not mean that you have, you're dynamic. Don't think of it like that. The word charismatic comes from the, word, the Greek word charismata. And charismata comes from the word grace. And this is the word that Paul is using when he says the gifts. It's the charismata. It's the supernatural graces that God has given the church to do the work of the church. That's what the charismata is. So when we say we're a charismatic church, we're a church that believes when the Bible says God has given us gifts for the work of the ministry, for the power of the Spirit, we believe God gave us gifts for the work of the ministry by the power of the Spirit. We're a charismatic church. If you don't like that, that's who we are. Either get on board or go. Um, <laughs> now, aren't we having fun already? Talk about tongues, right? Now, what Paul is talking to them about, though, is not the charismatics. I will call them the charismaniacs. 
and they were going crazy. Like they were just like running around, shabam, like acting like masters of the universe and like just going crazy with tongues and nobody spoke English or whatever they spoke. I guess they would have spoke Corinthian. I don't know what language they spoke. I should probably learn that, Brent. Your pure teaching gives some. Yeah. <laughs> but they were just going crazy with the gifts. And so Paul writes 14 as a rebuke saying, okay. There is a way to utilize the gifts that actually brings about flourishing and fulfillment, and there's a way to do it that actually destroys everything. And so he's trying to re rein in the charismaniacs, but let me just stop here before we go, go where he wants to go, and let me just speak to the cessationists for a second. Paul is not saying there are no gifts. In fact, what did we just read? He says, I want you, Christians, to desire the spiritual gifts in verse 1, didn't he? He said, especially to prophesy. And you can't read with integrity what he says here and conclude that he's not speaking to all believers. Most cessationist arguments, they will say, comes out of 1 Corinthians 13. There's one line in it that says, and tongues shall cease. When, perfect, when the perfection comes, tongues shall cease. And they'll use that one argument, but in fact, they're taking one sentence out of context to the rest of the paragraph, out of context to the rest of the chapter, out of context to the rest of the book, out of context to the rest of the New Testament. And what I would argue is a lot of people have built up this theology that has come from disappointment or lack of experience. They're saying, because I haven't seen God move in power, obviously that's not something that happens. And so Paul is not saying, though, that there are no gifts. He's saying, no, I want you to want God to move in your life in power. I want you to desire the gifts. And notice, he does not say, because you guys have overshot the runway on this, you need to stop altogether. He did not say that, did he? And that is a lot of the time why people will argue against the gifts is because they have seen people overshoot the runway on it and misappropriate the gifts. And so they'll swing all the way back and say, well, I don't want any of that. And Paul does not say that, does he? He says, desire the gifts, but there is a way to do it. This is super important. So are we tracking so far? So he, if you're taking notes, write this down. You need to hear the voice of God. This is what I believe Paul is first and foremost saying, that, that there is a giftedness that we'll call the vocal gifts. The word rhema, I said that earlier, the rhema word, the word rhema is the Greek word for word, but it's nuanced. It actually means vocalized or utterance. The word rhema is the word of God in real time. L let me say it like this. There are two, hang with me. I know we're going to do some work this morning. There are two Greek words for word. One word is logos, and the word logos is, is best understood as what God has said. Uh, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God. That's the logos. Uh, you can look at the scripture. The, the Holy Bible is the logos. God has spoken this. It will not change ever, ever. It's said and done. Uh, the laws of nature are the logos. The Bible tells us that God holds all things together by the word of his power. That's the logos. So there's the logos, and then there is the rhema. So if the logos is what God has said, the rhema is what God is saying. It's the word of God in real time. Now, a lot of people get freaked out by this because they have seen it abused. And you're, some of you are scared right now, though. Here he goes. First, he's talking about rhema, and then he's full-on David Koresh. And he's got the, the blue, blue Kool-Aid out and said, God told me. Right? Isn't that what some of you are thinking? No, you're not thinking that. 
Here's something you need to know about the rhema. The rhema word, God will never say something in real time that contradicts what he has already said. So you don't have to be afraid of someone coming up and saying, I believe God is saying this to you. If they say something that's not in here, God didn't say it. So you can be freed up from that fear. So there's a difference between the logos and the rhema. And, and Paul is contending that you have got to have the rhema in your life to experience the flourishing and the nourishment in your soul that God wants to give you. And the, the rhema is different than the logos. Let's, let's have like an experiment. Um, imagine today I preached on the, the story of Peter walking on water to Jesus. And the story goes that, that Jesus is walking on water out to Peter on a stormy night. And Peter sees him and Peter says, Jesus, can I, can I come to you? And Jesus says, what did he say? He says, come. So Jesus, the word of God, spoke in real time to Peter. That's rhema. So Peter gets out and he starts to walk on water, correct? You know the story? Now, it would be incorrect for us after church today to say, hey, we can all, we can all walk on water. Because Jesus said, come to me on the water. So let's go down to reversing falls and test it out. Not a good idea, because that was said, not being said. That was something Jesus did say. He didn't say it to you. He said it to Peter. That was Peter's rhema, not yours. And so you've got to understand the, the word of God in real time. I, I, are, are we tracking? There's a difference between the logos and the rhema. And Paul is saying power comes in your life when God gets to speak something to you in real time. That's how God does things. You know that? God does things by the power of his word. That's how he created. That's how he saved us. Who is Jesus? The word made flesh. And God actually wants, you are malnourished in your life until you start to experience the living word of God breathed into you in real time. You are lacking the nutrition your soul needs to flourish. So he's talking about the rhema. This is what Jesus was talking about. Remember Matthew chapter 4? Matthew 4, Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness. And what does he say when he's tempted? He says back to, the, back to the devil, he says, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word, that's the Greek word rhema, that comes from the mouth of God. Not just that came from, but comes from. So Jesus, in a very real way, in the desert, in his fasting, is receiving nourishment in his soul from God in real time. So Paul is contending that we desire and hear the voice of God. So he wants you to avoid these two extremes. All right, we're going to keep going. Are you with me? We, we lay in the foundation. We're having fun, right? All right. So verse 5, look what he says. I wish you could all speak in tongues. Not just some people. He wants all to speak in tongues. But even more, I wish you could all prophesy. For prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues, unless someone interprets what you are saying so that the whole church will be strengthened. Dear brothers and sisters, if, you, if I should come to you speaking in an unknown language, how would that help you? But if I bring you a revelation or some special knowledge or prophecy or teaching, that will be helpful. Again, it's about nourishment, correct? Even lifeless instruments like the flute or the harp must play notes clearly or no one will recognize the melody. And if a bugler doesn't sound a clear call, how will the soldiers know they are being called to battle? It's the same for you. Tell the person next to you, it's the same for you. Come on, 930, help a brother out. This is the fifth time I've preached this week. It's the same for you. Say to the other person. Thank you, thank you. 
If you speak to people in, the, in words they don't understand, how will they know what you're saying? You might as well be talking to empty space. There are as many different languages in the world, and every language has meaning. But if I don't understand a language, I will be a foreigner to someone who speaks it. And the one who speaks it will be a foreigner to me. And the same is true for you. If you since you are so eager to have the special abilities the Spirit gives, seek those that will strengthen the whole church. So this is a gift for nourishing the whole church. So anyone who speaks in tongues should pray also for the ability to interpret what has been said. For if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, but I don't understand what I'm saying. I'll explain that in a second. Well then, what shall I do? I'll pray in the spirit, and I'll also pray in words I understand. I will sing in the spirit, and I'll also sing in words I understand. For if you praise God only in the spirit, how can those who don't understand you praise God along with you? How can they join you in giving thanks when they don't understand what you are saying? You will be giving thanks very well, but it won't strengthen or nourish the people around you. I thank God that I speak tongues more than any of you. I love that. Humble brag. <laughs> Paul is the best, isn't he? It's like, just mic drop. And, and, and it's true, too. It's like, it's not even like arrogant. It's like, yeah, I speak more. I speak anyway. I thank God I speak in tongues more than any of you, chumps. But... In, <laughs> In a church meeting, I'd rather speak five understandable words to help others than 10,000 words in an unknown language. Dear brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your understanding of these things. Be innocent as babies when it comes to evil, but be mature in understanding matters of this kind. Let's just pause there again. So I want to explain. There's a lot going on there, and we're talking about tongues and prophecy. So he wants you to hear the voice, but he also wants you to know the voice. You have to know what the purpose is. You have to know the purpose of tongues and the purpose, the purpose of the prophetic. He starts to clarify the two. Now, he talks about tongues, and, and, and there's some confusion around it in the Corinthian church, and there's confusion around it today. There are two reasons or two versions of what tongues are. The first reason that God will give the gift of tongues, and it is a real gift. I, I, like It's biblical. He says he wants you to desire the gift. I know we got different backgrounds here. I see my grandmother here. She's seeing her grandson preach on tongues. How about that? That's pretty cool. So there are different gifts to desire. And he says, desire tongues. Now, tongues are for two reasons. One purpose of tongues is that we could reach non-believers with the gospel. I'll say a missional, a missiological reason that God gives us the gift of tongues. And it's very practical. This is what you see in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, what happens? The Spirit of God falls on the church and anoints us. That's what we call Pentecost. And then immediately, the Bible says, the believers went out and they started speaking in tongues. And now when it says they were speaking in tongues, they were literally speaking in other languages but other human languages. Look what it says, Acts 2. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard a loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. So they weren't hearing a heavenly language. They weren't hearing gibberish. They weren't hearing somebody speak something they didn't understand. They were, speak, they were hearing their own native language. Look at verse 7. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native language. God can equip us supernaturally to speak another language for the purpose of proclaiming the gospel. And this still happens all around the world. It's happened all through Christian history. 
Uh, I was talking to Pastor Dan. He's got a friend that, that had this actually happen to them. They were uh, ministering overseas in a foreign context, and they had an evangelistic thing to do that night, and they couldn't find where they were supposed to go. And so they pulled over, and they found some guy walking on the street, and Dan's friend rolls the window down and says, Hey, uh, we're looking for such and such a place. Can you tell us how to get there? And the dude gave the guy directions, and then Buddy rolls his window back up, and he looks, Hey, let's go. And the driver's like, Go where, man? And he's like, Where the guy said. And he's like, I don't know what that guy just said. And he turns around and everybody's all bug-eyed, like, what just happened? He goes, oh, he told us it's just up there. He, he actually spoke to a person in a different language and didn't realize he was even doing it. See, God can give you, the, that, that's one of the reasons God gives the gifts of tongues. It's a very practical reason. There is another reason, though. So there's the reason of missional purpose. Now hang with me. The other reason God gives the gift of tongues and what this is is there is a gift that God has given you to strengthen yourself. And this is where things get a little funky in the church, is this idea of heavenly language, a prayer language, singing in the Spirit, praying in the Spirit. What Paul is telling the Corinthian church is, when you speak a heavenly language, that edifies you as a person. God has actually given the gift of tongues to the church to be able to engage with God on a deeper level. This is not for you to speak to somebody else in gibberish. This is for you, unless there's an interpretation, he said, correct? If one of you guys stands up and starts speaking in some unknown language in a context like this, I'm going to wait for somebody else to get up and say, she said this. If that doesn't happen, you won't be doing that again. <laughs> right? It has to have an interpretation. But... <laughs> There is a beautiful place in the body for what Paul calls a prayer language. That God has actually given the body this gift of tongues to be able to engage with him on a deeper level. Now, I spent my whole life as what I would call a practical cessationist. I believed what the Bible said, but in actuality, I didn't ever really experience the gifts. And it's only been in the last five or six years that I've started to really come awake to this, that this is, real, this is the real deal. And I was in a gathering um, about five years ago, and we were, we were in this worship setting, and I had some dude come up to me and say, hey, Brent, um, I feel the Lord wants me to do this for you. He says he wants to give you the gift of tongues. Do you want it? And I was like, uh, do I? <laughs> I don't really think I do, right? Like, LAUGHTER He's like, oh, he's like, he's like, relax, man. He's like, it's like, this is the father. He wants to give you a gift and he wants, he wants you to have this. He, he wants you to have this to strengthen yourself. This is for you to find, find food for your soul and to engage with God on a deeper level than you ever have before. And so, so here's what I said, and here's what I encourage you to say with what I'm talking about today. I said, well, if it's God, I want it. And I don't care if it's weird and I don't care if it's out of my, out of my comfort zone. I don't care if it's out of my, my background or my understanding. If it's him and it's the real deal, I'll have it. If it's not, I don't want it. He says, well, let's pray. And he prayed for me, and that launched me into a season. And I'll tell you, this is, this is what it is. I have, I have a prayer language. I've engaged with God in that way multiple times where things of the Spirit start happening. And you no longer, I want to say it like this, English just can't cut it. And your soul starts to utter things. And your, your soul and your body start to go and engage with God on a level that supersedes your intellect. I know that's challenging some of you. But this is what Paul was talking about when he says, if I speak in an unknown language, 
I edify myself. You're engaging with God, even though no one will understand what you are saying. So he's trying to rein it in. He's saying, understand that the gift of tongues is a gift for the advancement of the kingdom, but also for your benefit. It is a way for you to engage the living God. But it's for you, not for others. Does that make sense? So he's, that's what he's trying to help us understand. So let's keep going. I'm going to be, I'm going to be done in a second. So he says, verse, let's go to verse 2. Uh, for you, if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you'll be talking only to God. So that's that prayer language. Since people won't be able to understand you, you'll be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will be all mysterious. But one, the one who prophesies, this is really what I want, where I want to land. This is really the key I want to talk about. Although tongues is a key that unlocks the voice of God in your life, the prophetic is even greater. And this is what Paul says. The one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally, but one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. So it says, I wish you all to speak in tongues, but even more, I want you all to prophesy. Now, what is it to prophesy? Let me just correct a bunch of thinking, because Paul's trying to do that too. Uh, The prophetic, I hacked together a definition. It's a run-on sentence, I know, but I think it works. So let's look at it, and hopefully this helps you. Prophecy is the supernatural, spontaneous prompting of the Holy Spirit with an intelligible message, a rhema word, for the purpose of vocal delivery to a person or the community in order to edify, exhort, or comfort them. That's what a prophetic word is. So to prophesy is to speak for and speak forth the word of God. It's to have received God saying something to you and for you to release it into another person. That's what it is to prophesy. So maybe we can understand what it's not. Uh, to prophesy, let me get this thing off. It's bugging me already. So. To prophesy is not fortune telling. When we, when we, I think some of you are afraid like we're going like, to get those little hats you know, with the ruby and we're like, whoa. Like, that's, not what, that's not what prophecy is. All right? Relax. <laughs> Prophetic is not fortune-telling. We're not going to start palm readings. We're not going to have tarot cards. We're not going to get all weird. That's not what this is. It's not future fortune-telling. It's not, it's not even discernment and guidance, although that might be a part of it. That's not its purpose. It's not about information. Get this. It's about transformation and revelation. That's the purpose of it. What is going on in this place? The lights are going out. The mics are dropping. Jesus is going to get his word out today. (laughs) It's not for rebuke. It's not for criticism. It is for the building up of the body. And it's way more normal and natural than I think we build it up to be in our minds. We make it this kind of mysterious, weird thing when it really is as much as you receiving an impression or a direction or a word in your spirit from God for your benefit or the benefit of someone else. That's what it is. So if you've seen great theatrics and craziness and stuff, like just get that out of your mind. 
It's can we hear what God says and can we say it to someone else? And when that happens, amazing things take place. So here's the purpose of the prophetic. If you're taking notes, you should write these down because this is why God wants us to prophesy. He said it back in verse uh, verse 3. He said the one who, who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. So it's for three, three words. Edification. Edification, that means like to build up or strengthen. God will speak a word into your life that actually brings strength. That's where we get that nourishment, that, that nutrition. That's what the prophetic word is for. Uh, it's for exhortation. We're losing lights again. It's for exhortation. It's to encourage you. Well, how's that different than, than, than edification? Exhortation is more like a, it's a push or a call forward. It's a you can do it. So the prophetic will come to encourage you, or it will come to comfort you. Uh, it will come to comfort you, we, we, that, that God wants to console. That's actually one of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's name in the Greek is parakletos, and parakletos means to come alongside or comfort. That's what he's trying to do. When you know the Holy Spirit is active, there is a sweetness and a softness and a gentleness that is indescribable. It's strong, but it's sweet. It's powerful, but it's gentle. And so that's how you know it's the spirit talking and not some other spirit. There are more than one spirit. And you need to know who's speaking. That's how we know. So why it's so powerful is because a prophetic word is rhema. Let me explain it like this. Um, I have read Joshua 1, 8, and 9 probably a hundred times in my life. Uh, but I got a word at just the right time. I was, uh, we had launched into a vision series. This was a little over two and a half years ago. And just full disclosure, this was, before the, this was the day before we were going to, to launch this thing. And I was freaking out. Like, I was legitimately afraid. I was like, we're going we're gonna to flop and no one's going to respond and the church is going to tank and I'm going to get fired and everything sucks. And I'm just, you know how that happens, right? You know, and no, don't judge me. Y'all sit in your own funk too, don't you? I was sitting on the couch, like just freaking out and chewing my nails and, and biting my, my finger. And like, just, that's where my nerves go. I just do this. And, and I'm sitting there like wallowing in my own fear and self-pity. And my daughter skips out. And she's got one of those thingies with the, the paper, you know, where they do the foldy and they go like this. And she goes, hey, dad. She goes, pick a number. And I'm like, oh, honey, I, I don't want to right now. I'm just, I'm, dad's tired. She goes, pick a number. She's like, I'm like, four. She's like, one, two, three, four. And she's like, pick another number. And I'm like, really? Ten. I'm trying to, like, tire her out. <laughs> one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. She's like, pick one more. Oh, my goodness, honey, I don't, okay, 25, right? And she's like, 25. She opens it up. She's like, Joshua 1, 9. Have I not told you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. See you, Dad. <laughs> and I'm like, oh. Like, how many times in my life have I read that, ver that verse, Logos? But when the rhema came, it changed everything. 
And you have to want God to speak in your life like that. God wants to come into your life in 3D, not just up here, not just going to church. He wants to penetrate your heart. And I'll tell you something. I could say it a thousand times. I could get up here and read Joshua 1.9 to you, but that moment when the Holy Spirit does something and inserts himself in your life and your, your world engages with the world of God, it just undoes you and builds you up altogether. There's nothing like it. That's the rhema. It's to edify and to build you up. So really quick, I know, I know we're running on here, but really quick, how does it come? It will come, like how do you know you're hearing God? It will come as a, as a nudge in your spirit, uh, an impression. Sometimes a picture will form. Sometimes it's really abstract, and you just got to kind of go for it. There'll be dreams. Uh, God has spoken to me in a lot of dreams that have been just super helpful. Like before the 2012 thing uh, in our church and in my life ever happened, God gave me a dream like four months before that totally just prepared me. God wants to insert himself in your life. Dreams, visions, words of knowledge, and it'll be, it can be released through people, through those dreams, through, through a bunch of variety of ways. Um, when it comes, really quick, when it comes, it will be clear and understood at a core level. You'll know it was God, and I, I wish there was a, a better way to say this, because some of you who are like really intellectual, and I'm, I praise God for that, I wish there was more I could say to you other than, you'll know. But it's the same thing, like how do you know you're in love? You'll know. How do you know when the Spirit of God speaks a rhema word to you? You'll know. And if you are unsure if you've ever experienced it, my guess is you have not, because you'll know. It will be abundantly clear and not confusing in your spirit. Satan is the author of confusion, not God. That's his game, not God's. It will be abundantly clear, and it will utterly bring you life and change your world. It will change how you see things. It will change how you're thinking. It will bring you energy and strength and comfort. That's what the prophetic word, the rhema word, is supposed to do. So Paul says, seek, seek, seek the voice. Number three, seek the voice. Let me finish up. Band, you can come back. We're going to be done. Verse 22, let's read it. So you see... So you see, everybody see now? So you see, speaking in tongues is a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. It's missional. Prophecy, however, is for the benefit of believers, not unbelievers. Even so, if unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your church meeting and hear everyone speaking in an unknown language, they will think you're crazy. But if all of you are prophesying and unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your meeting, they'll be convicted of sin and judged by what you say. Don't, don't hear that as a bad thing, okay? And as they listen, look at this, their secret thoughts will be exposed and they will fall to their knees and worship God, declaring God is truly among you. That's what the prophetic can do. Now, some of you, I want to just press this on us today. I want you to start to dare to receive God's rhema voice in your life and when I read that thing like about the secret thoughts will be exposed I know what you're thinking because I went through this and my wife even went through this when I first started hanging around prophetic people um, I was telling my wife about all these things that God was doing in my life and just bringing me to life through this through this gift and she said something very honest that I think we all feel she said I, I don't know why you want to go around those guys 
So I don't want those guys reading my mail. I don't want them talking to me about things I'm ashamed of, things I don't want anybody else to know. I don't, I don't want them talking to me about that. I said, oh, honey, you don't, you don't understand. Like, that's, that's not what the Lord speaks to. Prophetic reveals the secret thoughts, secrets to you. It's stuff you don't even know is going on. And every time the Lord speaks a prophetic word into your heart, it bypasses that, that area that you think he's going to speak on, and he speaks directly to the secret places of your soul. And he brings life where there wasn't life. And freedom where there was bondage. That's what the prophetic is meant to do. And so some of you are afraid of this, or you're freaking out of this, or, or some of you are scared with this, not, not what gets exposed, but what if I'm wrong? What if I think I heard something and it was wrong? Or what if I think I heard something and I shared it with someone else and it was wrong? Here's what I think Paul would say. Yeah, so what? Big deal. You were wrong. Say, I guess I was off. You know, what I've, you know what's happened to me every time I've been wrong in that situation? I've had someone look at me lovingly and say, I don't think that's for me. But thank you for loving me enough to put yourself out there like that. Thank you for loving me enough that you would risk your own, like, your own pride to tell me something you think God is saying. That alone tells them something. And then we pray that God speaks something just to them. So I want to be a church that receives the living word of God. And, and here's the deal. He does it through regular, ordinary people like you and me. That's how he does it. Some of you are sitting here thinking, well, I'm not, I'm just a brand new Christian. I accepted Jesus last week. Paul says, I desire that you prophesy. It's as simple as saying, God, what do you want to say to me? And God, what do you want to say to people around me? That's how we become a church that lives from the living word of God. Stand with me. I want to pray for us. Are you willing, are you willing to just like say, okay, God, if it's, can you at least pray this prayer? God, if it's you, I want it. Okay, that's not very encouraging. God, if it's, if, if it's you, can we as a church get to this place? God brought me on this journey. In 2013, I went on a wild ride. I went to every crazy, I went to some charismaniac things. I just wanted to see, like, God, if it's you, I want it. And if it's not, I don't. And I started praying that prayer, and God is faithful to direct you. Listen, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I don't want to toss it all out because I've seen people misuse it and abuse it. And I don't want to deprive my life or my church family or my city the supernatural power of God in our day because we're too afraid to step out. And I don't want you to miss out on that. Your life will change if you start making that prayer saying, God, if it's you, I want it. If it's the real deal, I want it. If, it. if it's lies and fake and if it's just crazy human junk, no. But if it's real, I want it. If you can pray that prayer with me, can we just do that and ask God to just take us deeper? So, Lord, we thank you today. We thank you that you haven't left us here to fend for ourselves. Lord, that we're not stuck on some cosmic survivor island where we got to find food for ourselves. Lord, you drop it from heaven whenever we need. So, Lord, we just, first and foremost, I, wanna, I just want to repent and say, Lord, I'm sorry uh, for the years that I've led myself and led this church out of fear.
God, I thank you that you're calling us deeper because you want to give us stuff. And we're missing out on joy and power and life and miracles and meaning and direction and perception. We're missing out on renewed minds and new perceptions and new perspectives. We're missing out on it because we've been too afraid to step for it. And so, Lord, I just say today, if it's you, I want it. And if it's you, we want it. We want it. We want it in this body. So, Lord, we thank you for the gift of tongues. I thank you for it. Lord, thank you. It's a gift, and I thank you for it. Lord, I even want to release that. Just as, as it's been prayed over me, I pray, God, that you would just empower people to engage you through a language of the soul they've never engaged you with before. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Lord, I, I empower you. I, I, Lord, I pray for your power over us to, to speak the gospel, even in, in contexts that, uh, that are foreign to us. And, God, will we be a place that just hears your word, constantly receiving it in our souls and speaking it into others. God, would you just remove some of the religious idolatry, some of the crazy and some of the sensationalism, would you remove that and will we just approach this sacred thing with a lot of natural ease? I just pray this in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said. Amen. Can we just say thanks to the Father for this gift? Thank you.